Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Graham, and welcome to SkewCast, the podcast that explores the who, what, why, and how of the promotional products industry. SkewCast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SkewCast is the official podcast of Common Skew. If you like what you hear, make sure to keep in touch by subscribing to the show on iTunes or at our blog, community.commonskew.com. And with that, let's get to it. In today's episode, we are going to explore the world of hiring. For any entrepreneur looking to grow their business, a solid recruiting and retention plan is an essential part of the journey. As such, we will be digging into topics such as compensation, how to find great people, and what it takes to keep them. Our goal is to give you a playbook that allows you to hire with confidence. Our guest today is Patrick McCarg. Patrick is a promo industry innovator and co-founder of Promo Placement, the industry's leading search and placement firm. He grew up in the promotional products industry, earned an MBA in international business, and managed a $35 million sales territory before focusing on the development of tools and techniques to benefit the promotional products industry. Patrick, welcome to SKUcast. It's fantastic to have you here with us today. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. It's uh, fantastic to be here. Yeah, well, why don't we jump right into it? So I want you to give me some background as to how you got into the executive recruiting business with a specific focus on the promotional products industry. Well, uh, well, that's a great question, Mark. And, and you know, I don't want to step on the intro and, and rehash too much of it, but I guess you could, you really could say that I was born into it. So my, my father and business partner, Kevin McCarg, uh, founded his first business, which was a, a promotional product distributorship. Uh, in the family basement when I was about four years old. And, and since then, I've been, uh, been around the business my entire life, uh, whether it was working summers uh, in the warehouse, uh, you know, shipping program orders, or helping out with fulfillment projects over winter break. I, I, I've always been involved in the business in some form or fashion, no matter how informal. Um, right. You mentioned the MBA and my, my time uh, at, with Dot Foods. I spent two years there right out of graduate school and moved, uh, moved to work in an account executive capacity with a large promotional product distributor. Uh, there, I, I built a strong book of business uh, from scratch and really kind of focused on uh, franchise business as well as uh, kind of the program and RFP side of things. Right. And so tell me about how you moved from the distributor business into your current uh, role with Promo Placement. Well, it, it, it was something that, that had kind of been bouncing around my head and Kevin's head for for a number of years, you know. And, and then the last year, uh, while uh, while on on the distributor side of things, it really kind of it really kind of took hold a little bit, I would say. And and we had the opportunity about a year and a half ago to, to bring the idea to life. And it's something that that Kevin really saw a tremendous void in the promo product industry. Yeah, uh, it, and really, it all started off with a very simple question. It's and it's one that he faced during his time uh, as an executive on the distributor side. It, it faces it faces a lot of distributors. It faces a lot of suppliers. It's you know how can I how can promotional product companies find talent in a more efficient and professional way than just the traditional word of mouth? Right. There's got to be some sort of a better way. Uh, you know, other industries have have. It's not a process, but they have kind of a, 
um, you know, a guide, a guidelines or techniques for, for finding a different job. And, and really, we knew that there were companies that tried to do something like this in the past. Right. Uh, and we've, we've tried everything we can to kind of get out of their shadows. Most of those folks, they were just in it to kind of make a quick buck and, and there wasn't a whole lot of skill involved. Uh, they charged uh, big fees up front and, and never really performed. Uh, but where, where they failed is we've kind of succeeded in building a professional level search and placement firm that, that we believe that we know is going to be around for a long time. Right. Well, I think it's smart if you look at the industry uh, or if you, sorry, if you look at the state of executive recruiting or search and placement, as you will, um, you have a lot of generalist uh, search firms that are out there that can, that can find you sales talent or executive talent, but very few of them have the wherewithal to navigate this particular industry. So you focusing on this particular channel um, strikes me as something that's pretty smart because there's not a lot of other people that I know that are doing this with a specific promotional products industry focus. A- absolutely. And, and that's really where the void lies. And, and there are, you know, there are thousands of, of, of recruiters across the country, tens of thousands, I, I'm sure. Uh, and, and a lot of them do specialize with sales reps. And, and some have come into the industry and kind of dipped their toe in here and there. But it, it really, this one especially, the promotional products industry, for some reason, kind of uh, boggles their minds a little bit. It, it's, uh, it requires a little, just a tiny bit of specialized knowledge and an understanding of how it works to really, you know, you have to speak the language before you can really make, uh, make much of an impact. And, yeah. uh, and so that's what, we're, that's what we've been able to do. Yeah, of course. So I'm curious, based on your experience of promo placement, can you tell me about the state of the hiring market today? Are we in an employer's market or an employee's market? Well, I would say with that, Mark, is I think it depends on, on which side of the business we're on. So th- there's definitely a differentiation between the supplier and the distributor job markets. Yeah, uh, sure. And so on the, on the distributor side, Quality people are, are very much in demand, especially in the in kind of the distributor sales rep roles. On the supplier side, it, it, it's more of an employer's market. Uh, there are a lot of strong supplier professionals out there uh, who are looking to make a change or, or move up the ladder, or some of them even to get back to work for whatever reason. Uh, right. You know, so, so so it's very different on 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 either side of the business. And, and what we've found is it's really driven by economics, it, it specifically kind of the compensation structures um, that, that both those sides have, have made use of. You know, when a distributor adds a, a sales rep, they're adding somebody with a, you know, with a book of business, most likely, and they're adding them at 50 percent commission. So they know what they're getting with that person. They're not outlaying a lot of money. Uh, that person, they're basically paying for performance. So, so they always want to add. Whereas on the supplier side, it's, uh, you know, there's a large base in place uh, with some bonus incentives generally. Um, but, but it's a much larger kind of cash outlay if you're going to grow uh, by, by adding a sales rep. So it's right. Really right. So it, it's not surprising based on those economics that if you're investing a fair amount up front, then it's not surprising that you might be in a position where you're dictating the terms or you maybe have more control in the hiring process. Whereas you, if you're a, a distributor salesperson and you're not getting paid any base and you're just coming in to, to um, be compensated via commission, then you're going to hold the cards. So that that's not surprising to hear. Um, are you seeing any 
difference with distributor salespeople that are paid on a base as opposed to pure commission? Or are you finding salespeople on the distributor side to be almost exclusively uh, full commission models? You know, I, I, I would be I would say that it's about 50 50. And it, it, that's a little bit different than than what I expected to find when, when we got into this business about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had only been exposed to 100% commission. Another type of structure that, that I'm seeing, I would say, more and more, uh, probably with companies that are younger, companies that maybe uh, maybe originated in the 90s or, or even in the even in the 2000s, is uh, is a small base salary. Uh, maybe it's you know maybe it's a couple hundred a couple thousand dollars a month. You know, it looks like a total forty thousand dollars a year, something along those lines. With a with a very curtailed commission structure on top of that, so right. it's uh, you know the number I keep hearing is seven uh, percent on gross sales. So right. there's a there's a lot of there's some stability there. There's also some incentive there. Um, so it, it, it's a little bit of the best the best of both worlds for a lot of folks. Right, and and I and I would think that with that kind of hire, you're not necessarily uh, getting a pure business development salesperson as much as you're getting an account person that might be handling an existing book of business. I, am I reading that correctly? You are reading that uh, absolutely correctly. Yeah, it, it, those are the, those are generally account managers. So that's somebody who uh, is a couple years out of college, had no promo sp- experience prior. To uh, to their current position, you know, maybe they maybe they had some sales experience, um, but uh, you know they're comfortable on the phone. They they those folks generally don't uh, don't see their customers. It's strictly right. a it's more of a transactional relationship than what you or I are used to. Right, right. So more of the farmer role. Well, why don't we take a half step back? And I'd love to dig into some of the specific compensation packages that you're seeing here. Um, So we started off with talking about this idea of an account manager getting paid around $2,500 a month with an approximately 7% commission on the gross. Mm -hmm. Um, If we look at the distributor side, and then we'll jump into the supplier side in a second, but what are you seeing for the, the, uh, the, the more senior salesperson? Is it exclusively that 100% commission drive or are you seeing a higher base for some of these senior distributor salespeople with uh, the opportunity to enjoy a bonus beyond that? Generally what I see, and it's, it's almost, in my, in my mind, the compensation and the, the, uh, the economics, if, you, if we can call it that, on the distributor sales rep side, it's almost entirely driven by, by your book of business. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Generally, a, a senior level uh, promotional product sales rep uh, is is one hundred percent commission. They uh, it, and they don't mind it. They they have a they have half a million dollar book of business or more. Uh, you know, it's just what they're used to. So, so the more tenured folks, uh, it's uh, the uh, the kind of the blended compensation. It, it was just kind of never part of their their experience. Right. 
Right. Well, in many respects, if they've already got that book of business and they're able to move it from company A to company B, then they can just do the math themselves because they, they've got a track record uh, over many, many years and they're going to be able to um, – they're, they're, they're going to be pretty accurate at forecasting their, their take-home compensation at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. They know where they are and, and uh, the, you know, the, to the degree that they, they, they can move that business – they're able to kind of, you know, go where they're best served. Yeah. So, and and I want to just take a, a jump into that part of it, and then we'll get back into the compensation on the supplier side. Yeah. But if you're a distributor salesperson that is working at, say, distributor A, mm-hmm. um, and, and provided this is not one of the big franchises or affiliates where I know that those folks are, are generally pretty open with you owning your book of business and moving on. Sure. But if you're working at um, a, a more traditional distributor that's not a national account or one of the big franchises or affiliates, chances are you're going to be under some kind of non-compete. So how are you finding that impacts your ability to hire from these places and place them into another distributor firm because you don't want to face a lawsuit at the end of the day once you've moved them over. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that we run into, um, you know, on a, on a, on a quasi regular basis, uh, definitely more than I would like. Um, and it, you know, it, it does affect our business, but more importantly, really to, to us is that it, it can really hamper some of the careers of these folks who have these non-compete agreements. Uh, right. You know, to, to answer your question, we, we do run into it. It's, uh, it. it's one of those things that sometimes there's a workaround, sometimes there's not. Right. Um, but, you know, for a, a, a person who wants to make a career out of being a distributor sales rep, a, a non-compete agreement is going to significantly limit your options. Right. Uh, you know, I talk to people who who have non-competes and who were fired uh, without cause and and they they lost their book of business right so, you know they built up uh, a, a steady normal income over years and years of work went to work with a new firm got fired due to you know whatever reason uh, and the company kept their book of business so so it it generally doesn't end terribly well um, yeah. Well, it's in, and, and this is maybe the subject of a, a completely different podcast, but you know, you could certainly have a spirited debate as to whether, you know, that's fair or unfair. You could certainly yeah. look at it from the perspective of the distributor owner that is also invested in that person. Um, and, and help grow that book of business. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it, it's hard to tell. Right. But I, I think that's a subject of another, of another podcast, but I could certainly see how that could, that could limit some of their options. Um, moving over to the supplier side. So if you're looking to hire a supplier salesperson or, you know, even someone in the operations side, um, tell me about what you're seeing there from the perspective of base and, and, uh, and bonus. Okay, well, you know, since, since we've been talking sales the whole time, let's, uh, if you mind if I tackle the operations side first a little bit? Oh, of course, yeah. We'll go back to the distributor side on, on operations, of course. Okay, yeah, great, great. Uh, so on the supplier side for operations, it's, you know, it depends on the role. So a, a senior level role, let's say maybe production manager, where they're, they're, they, they own everything that goes on in the production facility. They they're handling the entire staff. They're reconfiguring machinery. They're doing A to Z. Anything having to do with production runs through these folks. 
that's going to be in the uh, you know that's going to be in the low six figures. So uh, what we've found is anywhere, and of course you know to do, all of these things, uh, Mark, depend a lot on geography. Sure. And, um, and you know, for our listeners, uh, I don't know if it goes without saying, all of this is in, in U.S. dollars as well. Um, so what I'll find is okay, it could be uh, if it's in a uh, an area where there's a low cost of living, it could be as as little as. Uh, not little, but it could be about ninety thousand dollars. In an area where the cost of living is significantly higher, one hundred and twenty, one hundred and twenty-five, one hundred and thirty is not unreasonable for a production manager. Right, and then moving over into the sales side, uh, or sorry, on the distributor side, is that the same uh, same that you're finding for operations folks? I would say it's generally the same. Yeah, you know, it, it, they definitely have different roles. You know, the production manager on the supplier side. Is it probably going to translate incredibly easily to a product to that exact same role on the on the distributor side? So, so there is some there are some incongruities right there with uh, with how the, the roles kind of translate from one side of the business to the other. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, of course. I mean, if you're a, a supplier production manager, you're working machines, you're dealing with inventory, you're dealing with a, a pick staff, uh, imprinting um, uh, processes. Whereas if you're a distributor production manager, a lot of it is also it, it's more coordinating uh, orders that you have with your supplier partners. So it, it production is almost more of an administrative. Well, I would say it veers more into an administrative role on the distributor yeah. side, whereas on the supplier side, it's a lot more hands on and more operational. So I get it. Yeah. And so, you know, the production manager who has a degree in uh, industrial uh, engineering is, isn't going to translate at all almost to that to that uh, distributor side at more administrative role. So uh, it's, it's hard to compare the two. Right, right, right. Um, and then and then that last segment on the supplier sales side, what are what are you seeing there from a compensation standpoint? And how does that differ from the salesperson on the distributor side? Well, it's it's extremely different from from what I see on a day to day basis on the distributor side. So uh, when it comes to supplier sales reps, most will have a, a pretty a pretty substantial base salary, generally in between uh, seventy and ninety thousand dollars, with uh, with a performance bonus on top of that. And in the the, the excuse me the degree to which that that performance bonus is is attainable or realistic really varies, and it's something that that any anyone on the supplier side has to really have a good look at. Is is okay? I have. Uh, they're going to give me eighty thousand dollars in base. They're going to give me an extra thirty thousand dollars in performance incentive bonus. But how realistic is is getting that? Is, is hitting that number that they're laying out? Uh, right. so, so that's kind of the general figures. I, but at the same time, as I've also worked with uh, supplier sales reps who make up to one hundred and fifty thousand, and you know th- that's almost to the point where they're almost priced out of the market. Right, 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 right. Well, and again, it's a very different role. If you look at what a supplier salesperson is doing, they're representing a defined line and they're going out and calling on a, a, a set group of accounts. And not for a moment would I say that, that it's an easy job. It's just a different job than what a distributor has to do where they're um, 
now taking uh, all sorts of different products and trying to understand them and craft a story and then go out to an end client uh, of which there are almost an infinite number <laughs> and then go and then and try to try, try to create a story so as i say i don't know that one is necessarily harder or easier than the other but there's very very different which is why there's um quite a different compensation expectation and standard very much so. And, and one thing that probably bears mentioning is, you know, I'll, I'll deal on a regular basis with a lot of folks who want to switch sides, who, yep. uh, who whatever reason they've run into uh, bumps in the road or, or just want to have a, you know, a change of lifestyle or for whatever reason, they want to switch sides. And, and well, it's, it's, very, it's very possible and in fact, quite common for distributor sales reps to uh, to move into supplier sales rep roles and have success, you know they know the industry, and, and they'll often say, "Is you know I kn- I know how to sell distributors because I was one," and that and that's very true. Yeah. The the disadvantage for the supplier sales rep, while they have a, a significant base salary, uh, is it's much more difficult for them to to have success on the distributor side. It's yes. So so much of it is based on having a book of business, and uh, it's. The folks who excel on the supplier side in sales, you know, may not always have what it takes on the distributor side because it is so different. Yes, yes. Well, and you know what? That's a great segue to this this other question I have here for you in terms of are you are, are you able to outline what you see as the key ingredients to a successful salesperson? on the distributor side, and then we can talk about it on the supplier side as well, uh, because I do think there are some differences. But I asked this question from the perspective of an employer. So an employer is looking for a salesperson, again, either as a distributor or a sales uh, or as as a supplier. Um, What are the things that I should be looking for in this particular salesperson? That's that's a really good question. And, um, you know, if, if I knew... I wish I knew that secret ingredient that that 100% of the time uh, w- w- always led to success. Uh, I think on the distributor side, it's uh, it, it is it is going to be a lot of uh, it's going to be very different from what it is on the supplier side. On the distributor side, I think you have to have a certain um, a certain risk taking attitude, and by that I mean, you know, you're you're working on commission, so so you obviously uh, have there's a lot on the line. Um, it, it, that's a small part of it, but I think that that goes hand in hand with that is uh, is just a natural desire to rise to a challenge. It, there's there's no lack of, of competition when it comes to uh, you know getting uh, getting business from end users. There you know it's, it's never going to be orders that are just lying around waiting to be taken. Um, so, so you have to be up for that challenge. You have to be up. For, for going out there every day, making your calls, and, and trying to build something out of almost nothing, because that's that's what a lot of folks in the business end up doing. Um, you know, you, you can't be afraid of uh, of failure because it's something that, especially on the distributor side, you're going to run into every day. What, what are your thoughts on it, Mark? You know, what what's been your experience with it? Well, I I would agree with you about the the risk taking mindset. Um, the entrepreneurial mindset, even if they're yeah. not necessarily business owners like the principles of the distributorship, but at the end of the day, having those entrepreneurial skills, those business building skills are important. Um, what I've also found, 
Uh, and believe me, I've made lots of mistakes in the past too. So I don't know that I necessarily speak from the position of authority here. But what I have found in, in the cases where we have been successful is looking for uh, people who have empathy. Mm. And those folks that have empathy and that are able to put themselves in the shoes of their customer are usually the ones that succeed well in this environment. Um, and here's the rub. If you're looking for someone who is a risk taker, is entrepreneurial, is competitive on one hand, to find that same person who also has uh, empathy, that's really, really challenging because empathy and aggressive and competitive sales behavior are often mutually exclusive, right? They're, um, or, or they compete with one another in terms of uh, um, sensibilities. Yeah, so I think that those salespeople are rare. Um, but they're the ones that I have found work the best because they're able to put the needs of their customer ahead of themselves. And I think you hear a lot of salespeople that will say that, like, yeah, I put my customer before before myself. But at the end of the day, their actions may suggest a different thing because they're just looking for that sale. Um, so the other thing that I find is that someone with empathy – now, this is a very general statement – but someone who has got those empathetic skill sets um, or personality traits may not be as successful in the immediate term compared to that risk-taking, you know, competitive, aggressive salesperson that's dialing for dollars and just gunning out the sales. Sure. And I think that that's, that's a challenge because that person then – that other person gets frustrated in the, or they get fired or – and, and it's not necessarily um, – they're not necessarily successful in the short term, whereas medium term and long term, that's the person who really creates an incredible book of business and, um, and, and is able to grow with your company. So that's what I would say. That's that's a great answer. Much better than my answer. I, I'm sorry I asked you. And, you know, I, I should have just we should have just ended it at me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. You, I, I think yours was maybe a little more realistic, but <laughs> um, yeah, I, I never thought of that. But I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's, you know, it, with anything sales, you have to have an understanding of what's going through the other person's head, and uh, you know, kind of anticipate. That's yeah, that empathy plays a little bit of a role in that. That makes sense. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about compensation and thank you so much for sharing those numbers. I think listeners that are thinking of hiring uh, salespeople or operations folks, hopefully that gives them a sense as to what the market is right now in 2016. I now want to move over to retention. Um, so an employer has now attracted this salesperson or this operations person. And I want to know what you're seeing successful employers do today to retain that employee so that their investment doesn't walk out the door? Great question. Great question. And, and, and we work with, uh, with a number of different clients and, uh, and it's, it's an ongoing process. Once we, once we find somebody and, and help them through that placement process, it's, it's an ongoing thing where we support them in the, in the retention efforts. Uh, or else, or, or else, it was just a short-term gain in the first place. Uh, right. what, what I find is that you have to you have to accommodate the individual. Um, you have to seek to understand them. You, you can't view them as just another kind of uh, just another book of business or just another person in the bullpen handling customer service calls. You, you really need to, to seek to get to know them. 
And a, a lot of this, a lot of these things that 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 determine the overall fit and how long someone's retained actually happens, uh, actually starts in the interview process. But a couple more pieces that, that are, I think are critical is you have to let the person know that, that you want to develop them. Yeah. A, a lot of people, and this is something that I think is very true, especially for millennials, is folks more and more are looking for a career path. They don't necessarily just want a job. Yeah. You know, they, they could, uh, you know, they could do any number of things. They could drive Uber if they wanted a job. Um, people want, people want a plan in their life and they want something that, uh, that can work for them long term as far as work-life balance goes. And, and that's one thing that, that folks uh, who do are successful in retaining their talent, something that they understand, it's something it's not that they just preach, but they practice it as well. Right. Um, they, you know, they allow their folks to take full advantage, not full advantage, you know, not, it's not overkill here, but advantage of the flexibility that our industry can allow. So Patrick, can you tell me some of the reasons why a salesperson would move from company A to company B? Well, that's a great question, Mark. And, and it's, it, it, surprisingly, it's generally not about money. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, when I, when we first got into this business, I expected, you know, if you could find somebody 5% more, uh, as far as a commission split goes, uh, you could get them to go to Guam to go get it. Uh, yep. That's, that's not, that's never the problem that we've run into. It's no one's ever said to us, I'm not making enough money. That's my pain point. It's, it's much softer type of people to people issues. It's, uh, it's the folk, the gentleman who, who's, who's not feeling appreciated, um, it may be the, the company is undergoing some changes. A new owner came in and, and he just doesn't understand the business or uh, I'm not getting enough support. You know, I see this guy over here. He sells $100,000 more than me. He has his own sales assistant. Why, why don't I get any help? It's, right. it's those types of things um, that they generally it's support that's going to do it. Support, marketing, uh, you know, these are the big pieces. Right. Uh, it can even be as simple as uh, as when uh, as when they get paid. You know, right. are they are they paid on paid? Are they paid on billed? Are they paid on booked? Right. Uh, all of those things can make a difference. Right. Um, certain times uh, benefits in health insurance can make a difference as well. Um, but you know, it, it's it's generally about the fumble isn't isn't hey more money. Right. There has to be a problem existing, and generally that problem is. A lack of support, or a, uh, a some you know I don't want to say sometimes it's a lack of integrity on the behalf of uh, of whoever they're working with. Right. Well, and I think what's really exciting about this is that today you're seeing a lot of companies that are investing in culture and educational development and supporting their employees. And if we're talking specifically about salespeople in this particular example, that they're spending a lot more time investing in that salesperson and ensuring they're successful. And it's regardless if they've got a base salary plus bonus or their full 100% commission. And I think that, that those companies that are doing that are the ones that are really creating a strong um, sales force and employee base. And I don't know that you would have seen that as much a couple of decades ago, where it was more about, here's our commission split, it's superior, 
go get them, Tiger. <laughs> I think yeah. the world is a lot more complicated now. It's a lot more competitive. We talked about that at the very beginning where distributor salespeople have got lots of choice. And yes, they have to be compensated fairly, but oftentimes the, uh, the, the compensation is going to be, you know, might be down the list in terms of things that they're looking for. Absolutely. And, and those companies, you know, I, I love I love culture when I see it, but it, it's so much of a buzzword that that folks use a lot, uh, especially in our industry. And it's and it's always the company that has no culture at all that tries to sell that. But uh, there there are a, a lot of companies uh, in our industry who have a wonderful culture, and, and they know, and they know how to sell it. And, and it is one of those things that the right rep is going to uh, to see that they're gonna he's gonna see that genuineness. That, that that company kind of exudes and it, it can be extremely convincing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. So I, I want to, in, in our final uh, moments here, I want to shift uh, the conversation to talking about engaging the services of a recruiter. And as luck would have it, you're a recruiter. So I figured that you're the best person to ask this question of. So Patrick, when is it best to retain the services of a recruiter? Well, Mark, that's a great question, and I'm glad that you uh, you use the term retain. Uh, it, it gives me a chance, real quick, just to clarify something that, that I think is important. Uh, you know, at least to the industry and specifically to us, uh, search and placement firms get paid one of two ways, and, and I think this is very important for folks who might not be uh, too familiar with uh, the uh, recruitment side of the business to understand. Uh, so a retained firm gets their fee or a portion of their fee up front. And so uh, a lot of times folks talk about retainers. That, that's what that is. They take the search, you send a check, and, uh, and you hope for results. Uh, we, we uh, Promo Placement is actually a contingency search and placement firm. So, so the way that that works, and just for clarification, is uh, that means that we get paid when you decide to hire a candidate. So in other words... If, if, if you don't find somebody who's a very strong candidate you want to hire, we don't accept a fee. But I just want to do that quick clar- clarification uh, just because I wasn't sure if you were speaking about retain in, in a different way. Got um, it. Okay. But ma- many companies do handle talent acquisition on their own. Uh, however, what we've found uh, you know, in our years of experience is they're generally not doing themselves a big favor. Done properly, recruiting is, is a full-time job. And, and you have to, you know, it requires a lot. You have to have a current understanding of the marketplace. You have to constantly develop new contacts. You have to know how to find and get the attention, most importantly, of the top talent in the industry. Um, it's just not something that you can drop into your schedule on, on a Tuesday or Thursday and expect to have success at. Right. Um, and, you know, we, you know, I, I guess... I guess to answer the question is the best time to, to get some to get involved with a search and placement firm is is whenever you can. You know, it's always good to have a contact for a rainy day. Uh, you know, if if somebody gets into a position where they're leaving a uh, director level or a VP level or a, even a C-suite level position open for uh, you know thirty days, forty-five days, sixty days. It's going to get expensive quickly, and so yeah. it's always good to have somebody who you can reach out to, uh, who who has at least a familiarity with your organization, to um, you know to, to get involved to help. Right, um, and then so so getting more into that, um, 
with a typical engagement with your firm, so you're you're talking about paying, uh, you're, you're paid on contingencies. So, if there's a, uh, if you find a, a, an employee at X dollars, then you are only charging when that employee has been hired. Um, are you able to get into some of the specifics in terms of how that might work? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, you know, a typical engagement with with promo placement looks looks like this, and. It's uh, it, it's a process like anything else. So we'll generally have some sort of an introduction a- after that point and after you know a, a client's expressed a potential client rather's expressed interest. We do we do a lot of extensive information gathering. Uh, we want to know everything we can about their businesses. So you know the, the better we know them, the more fully we can understand their needs. And, and this is where our promotional product background is generally very advantageous. So we, we get a detailed picture of who they're looking for, uh, what they what they need to achieve with this hire, because that's, that's a critical piece is people only make hires for two reasons, to, to make money or to save money. And so we, we need a very detailed understanding of what this person is going to be doing. What, right. you know, what, what, what are they going to be responsible for in the first 90 days that's really going to make an impact? Right, um, and also an understanding of how how the, the potential client attracts talent. And once we have that full picture of, of who the client wants, and uh, then we go out into the industry and reach out to our contacts, through, you know, throughout the country uh, to locate that top talent. We're we're looking for the best of the best, um, you know, which is a little bit different from a lot of other. Uh, sources for uh, for uh, for job applicants, and when we kind of a little bit further in the process, Mark, is when we found the right person, uh, you know, or who we perceive to be the right candidate based on the profile from the client, we pre- we present them to the client and, and really facilitate the interview and offer stage. Uh, it's it's very very helpful to for us to be involved. Uh, you know, we stick with the clients through the entire process and. For example, some hiring managers might might extend half a dozen offers a year. We're involved in half a dozen offers uh, a week or two weeks tops. So it's we bring a lot of experience to the table on the back end, where yeah. folks might think a lot of the values all towards the front end. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, is people have to accept the offer, and right. it has to be a good match. It has to be a good start to a professional relationship, yeah. and uh, and that that's what we facilitate on the back end. Well, and I think what you're getting at is analogous to uh, a corporate uh, marketing buyer saying, uh, is it worthwhile for me to retain the services of a distributor versus going on the internet and buying product directly? I always like to draw these analogies back to our business because um, it's all about how you can help the client be successful and how you can ultimately help them save money and, and time, which at the end of the day is really what this is all about. So I love the answer. And I also think it gives people that are listening um, a better understanding as to how your firm works. And I also think that you, you generally speak for other types of uh, search and placement firms because I think there's some people that are not familiar with what it's like to work with such a company. And it, it you do incur an extra cost, but at the end of the day, it all comes back to how much time and money you've been able to save given that you do this every day, whereas a lot of hiring managers within companies might be hiring a couple of times a year, if that. So absolutely, absolutely. There's a lot of time involved in the whole entire process, and while it's going on, the clock's ticking because there's there's a need that's not being filled, and and like you said, it, it's something that we do every day. 
uh, we, we know how to find the top candidates and get them on board. Uh, and that, at the end of the day, is what where everyone wins. Yeah. Well, Patrick, this has been such a pleasure. I've really appreciated the opportunity to, to speak with you. Um, are you able to give our listeners a little bit more information about where they might be able to find you if they're interested in learning more about your services? Absolutely, yes. Please check out uh, promoplacement.com. That has, uh, has up-to-date information there, um, uh, links to all of our social networks as well. And um, the best number if for those who are phone-inclined these days still – uh, would be 314-227-0959. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. This was really educational, um, and I know that uh, the listeners in the community will will have uh, learned a lot from you. So thank you so much for your time and expertise. It was my pleasure, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Skewcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to Skewcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.